Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey folks, welcome back to OMD Daily. This is the June 22nd, 2020 episode. Uh, I believe that is episode 34. Wow. Time flies. Um, so today's episode is going to be talking, I'll talk about a book review of The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Co- Coelho? Um... Paula, I'm so sorry if I did mispronounce your last name, but yeah, I think The Alchemist, you know, it doesn't really require much introduction. Um, it, it is a a classic by all means. Um, my one sentence summary is that it is a fictional tale that masterfully incorporates various mental models on the singular focus of embarking on the journey to live a life of purpose. It's kind of a mouth, mouthful. It might be a run-on sentence. I'm not sure. I have a very bad habit of using a lot of run-on sentences. It might be because my thoughts tend to be very lengthy, lengthy, and something I have to work on. But yeah, so it's I think it's one of those unique books where um, predominantly non-fiction readers will still read <laughs> The Alchemist, uh, and I think it's because of the way that um, it uses a fictional tale to just really use. A, kind of talk about very similar mental models that you would read in any other um, book in, you know, big quote-unquote like self-help genre, but also just psychology as well. Um, and my rating um, on time of the review, so as of today, I would rate it as better than 8 out of 10. Um, and honestly, I read this book, I think it was... Um, probably exact nearly just about a year ago uh, i think i want to say the early summer late spring of 2019 was when i re- first read the book and as i revisit revisited it and read kind of reread my notes related to it i still found it incredibly valuable and in one way i felt like i could va- relate to it much more i could understand my own notes better and I even took up more out of the book this time, I think, than the first time I uh, read through it. And I think if I were to recommend this book to someone, it would be for someone who is already in the journey of trying to live kind of a life of, you know, whatever the word is, fulfillment, purpose, passion, etc. They all hold different meanings for various people, but I think generally it's when you want to start living closer to an intrinsic scorecard versus an extrinsic scorecard, then I think this book would be extremely powerful. Um, one of my podcast guests from Accounted for, Drew Green, he's currently, I believe, the CEO of Indochino, this, uh, the pretty big, I think, uh, suit company, made-to-measure suit company. And I think he, he told me he read it more than like a dozen times or something. And it's one of those books. I think it's something I would prob- could probably revisit again uh, in the future. And... It is also a quick read, I think, because one is fiction and it's also not a very thick book. So it's something I probably would revisit over time. So once again, when I do book reviews, I like to um, go over, I'd say, some 
key points I found to be helpful um, and just things that I wanted to talk and share about. Um, it's not going to be a fully exhaustive review. Um, I will have all the full book notes and everything in the show notes. You can just find it at omdventures.com. Um, you can go to the OMD Daily uh, page on the main website and if you find the episode number, you'll have it there. Or you can actually just go to my book list and you can find the book there and I have it linked to the uh, full um, review as well. Awesome. So the book doesn't have chapters. It's split into two parts. There's part one and part two. And part one kind of describes the, I'd say, the premise. So the main character of the book is a it's a boy named Santiago who's based out in Spain in this kind of small town. And he's a, um, I guess a shepherd would be the best name for it. Um, he has all these sh- sheep that he owns and he lives in this small village where there's like a church and um, they kind of, Paolo paints this beautiful picture of this, it's really pretty like green landscape that you'd kind of imagine seeing in like um, the sound of music, for example. Like that's, that's at least what I pictured in my mind since I've never been to Spain. And the book, I think, I'd say, follows this kind of long adventure um, of the boy seeking his quote-unquote personal legend is what it's called in the book. And that might be a translation thing because I believe the original was written in Spanish um, because Paulo's from Brazil. Um, Actually, Brazilians speak Portuguese as well. I'm not too sure. But I think the original was written in Spanish. I might be wrong on that, though. Um... But anyhow, so Santiago is going on this journey to seek his personal legend. And that kind of coincides with this journey of looking for treasure. So he ends up meeting this wise man um, that he's never met before, who kind of mysteriously shows up and tells him to seek out his personal legend. And Santiago doesn't know what it means. And a lot of, I'd say, part one is kind of understanding what that means, what that constitutes. And... He also gets this kind of directive saying the treasure is beside the pyramid, so you find your way from Spain all the way to Egypt and go find the treasure. And the key point um, that I want to talk share about from part one, I'd say, is on how, on just like decision making in general. Like many people choose not to not make decisions, um, and it could be like. It seems counterintuitive because everyone seems to want freedom and they complain about um, not having freedom at work, not having control over their life in some ways. And that does relate to um, general kind of psychology of happiness. But in one way, many people actually, I feel, are afraid to make decisions because um, it might be fear of responsibility, accountability, um, or just anything that kind of puts you at uh, as like where you would receive the downside, you would receive the blame. Like, there's fear of that. And, you know, in, in, or it could also be that they might not want to be accountable to themselves for what they do. Like, you don't want to kind of believe that you're the person who made that choice. Um, and so there could be more of an internal dialogue there. And, you know, that could be because they're very fixated on judging the past, what have you. But it's a it's the point that I want to make is that much of the world is filled with people who will actually pay to let others make decisions for them to relinquish control. It's hard to make decisions for yourself, but having a purpose makes it easier. Um, having others make decisions for you is like the inability to sit still because maybe you're afraid to become 
conscious of what you actually think of yourself and maybe even your life. Um, and so the the story that kind of led to this point that I or this thought that I had was when Santiago he's told to go seek out treasure uh, in Egypt and he's in Spain and he's his kid who owns sheep and I think he talks with um, this kind of old wise king or someone who's who is a king but he's keeping himself hidden um, until Santiago later discovers that he's some kind of royalty uh, figure but Santiago wants to know what to do with his life, what he should do. So then the guy says, oh, give me your sheep and I'll tell you the answer. Um, and so Santiago gives him, I think, six of his sheep and he says, you should go. Um, but you already know you're going to go. And it's one of those things where I feel people are like Santiago just didn't have to pay him. But in one way, he wanted to pay him just so that he could kind of get permission to do something he already wanted to. It's like when... I think from my experience, whether it's my, me personally or even people in my family or my friends, where if you like, you know you want to take the risk, you know you want to take the jump, but it's so much easier if someone, like you have someone that you respect, someone you trust, support you and kind of give you a little nudge along. And that is kind of, I say, the most cheapest way of making that decision, but some people might actually pay to have someone tell them what to do like you know i guess in one aspect therapists might be one of those because people seem to have the impression that you'd go to a therapist and you pay them money and they'll tell you what to do with your life although although most i think therapy sessions aren't about that which leads to many people being disappointed but i think that's like the big overall theme i took out um which i thought was very critical uh, crucial where it's really important to learn to make decisions for yourself and being able to embrace that you're making choices makes you accountable for it. But at the same time, it it's kind of accept, accepting that everything that's happening is real. Um, because, yeah, like I think, you know, I want, sometimes I think I'd be lying if I said if I went, go out to meet people for coffee that... And when I'm trying to figure out what I'm what I should do and all the projects I should seek out, that you know sometimes yeah, which I'd meet someone and they'd say, oh yeah, like this is exactly what you should do, and it should hit me perfectly. But most times when someone tells me what I should do, I get very annoyed, and it makes me realize that they have no idea what they're talking about um, in some aspects. So I think that's something I had to learn over time. But yeah, I think that's a very key model that's kind of um, spoken about. In the book and uh, I have a lot of notes here and I feel like I should have actually mentioned a lot more stuff mm. I think on, on an overall note part one it's talking about the personal legend is really talking about how many people will not choose to kind of seek out um, you know what their purpose is because over they believe that over a long term like they you know, they end up just come, kind of becoming succumbed to the extrinsic rewards. They start caring more about what other people think. And they choose, they end up not taking the journey to seek out their quote-unquote personal legend. And that's just going to be the verbiage I use for the rest of the book review just because that's the one that's constantly mentioned in the quotes, etc. Um, and the kind of early stories are shared um, as it's kind of, 
it's like a story in a story. It's a little meta that way. So Santiago kind of meets all these people along his journey, and they kind of tell him stories that are supposed to inspire him, and they give like lessons. Like one big thing, another is like resiliency, where it's kind of the idea that I'll kind of talk about later deeply is that you think、um, the journey's tough, but as you get further into it, and just like you don't know when the finish line is, but the but it seems like the case that When you, the journey gets hardest when you're really close to finish line, but you just don't know.、Um, it's and so in the book, there's the story of like this miner、um, who's searching for an emerald, and he spends five years looking at hundreds of thousands of rocks, cracking each of them open, and it has the very last one when he's just about to quit, and he's just kind of given up hope, and he just chucks this last rock just at a tree because he's so mad that one cracks open and an emerald comes out. Now, obviously, a lot of people. Might、uh, you know give up after six years and nothing actually happens, but it's the idea that it's you just have to go one more. And most people quit too early.、Um, like even you know two years, five years might not be enough, and that's the thing. Like I've met people who like tell me about how this is more of a pet peeve, and I guess I'm just kind of rambling. But yeah, like I I always meet people who. You know, tell me like, oh yeah, like I tried going off my own for like one week or a month or two months, and they tell me exact they know exactly what I'm going through over what I've been going through over the last two years, and I think, hmm, I think going off on your own to start something for a two year period is very different from something you do for two months. Two months is really easy. I I, I never got disencouraged in a two month period. I mean, that's a very soft thing to get.、Uh, I think. Disencouraged by, but you like and right now, like I think if I were to complain to someone who had been at it for ten years, like they'd look at it and go, "Are you kidding me? Like, do you know how long I've had to struggle?" And so I think, in one aspect, like it, when you're in the moment, it seems like it's so long and it's so hard. But I think the moral of the story is that you just have to keep on going, and it's like you just have to push it and push it.、Um, And that resiliency is this kind of key requirement when you're, especially going on the search for the personal legend. And I, I don't think the story explicitly talks about this, but I think there is an idea that、uh, it's what Nassim Taleb talked about, where he calls it kind of the Lindy effect, where、uh, it's kind of referring to books and things that last. Where if something's lasted a hundred years, it'll probably last a hundred years more. In one aspect, if you've had to struggle for ten years, then that means you'll. Probably be more ready for the next ten years that come. Whereas if you struggled for only one year, then you probably won't be able to last. You know, past like another, like go past like two three years of hardship afterwards.、Um, it's kind of like the old saying that my mom always used to say, like, "Fast money leaves quickly." So, in in essence, to people who get rich quick, they end up becoming poor faster. So I'll just kind of move over to part two. Part two is where I'd say the chunk and the meat of the story is. I think two thirds of the book is really in part two, and that's where a lot of、um, Santiago starts like learning more. So the first point、um, I want to talk about is, let's see. So、uh, so Santiago in, in the story.、Um, so he left. He eventually leaves Spain. He enters a new land. I forget where it particularly was. I missed the detail on that. But he lands.、Um, In kind of new continent, I think he left Europe. Now he's probably in Africa, I think. And he he starts working at a crystal shop to earn money. 
and enough to be able to return to his hometown to buy a flock of sheep that he had lost uh, on the journey. And it's also he could go back to his original way of being um, a shepherd. And, you know, this is something he knew how to do. And the whole time this developed because the adventure scared him. And he was meeting resistance from people who discouraged his venture into finding his personal legend and people who failed and had given up had continuously discouraged him but you know when he left the town to return home to buy sheep he realized the year spent working for a dream of becoming a shepherd again was no longer his dream and he starts kind of despairing and getting sad with his choice and so this is um this thought kind of came out as i was reading this particular segment because um as you read the book like he's working he earns money and yeah he starts doubting his journey like that's like the big doubt phase where he's not so sure anymore because everyone's saying he's crazy and he's stupid for trying to chase some kind of treasure in a pyramid like that doesn't make any sense right and for me i think it was a very important thing to uh think about and also share because this is so very real because you always feel this kind of resistance when you're on the journey and it always feels scary and the more I think in the beginning especially when you meet a lot of people who've never kind of gone on a similar journey journey as yourself they will be extremely negative um, or at least they just won't be supportive and I think like that's kind of how I felt uh, I think a year into my own journey of building OMD Ventures and there's a lot of fear and you keep on thinking oh, what I have no idea what I'm doing I still don't know what I'm doing at honestly but I feel better about it now but I remember earlier on like I felt awful and I you know I spent like a full quarter just re just reapplying to jobs and trying to get like finance jobs um and you know it was because it was scary um because you don't know what the future holds and but I also remember that yeah like I started despairing like I hated doing that I hated applying back to finance jobs or you know any kind of regular business job that I knew I probably could get um and even and that's how like during interviews I'd end up just kind of telling people yeah I probably am not suited for this job I'm really not interested which is weird because I applied for it and but I think this was kind of the story that hit me where it's like yeah like it's normal like if it's in a book it's probably a very normal average thing experience um and the doubt you feel and i think the big thing is to actually listen to yourself where if you're very upset about it and you're kind of despairing the choice you've made it's probably not the right choice you want to be making and so eventually santiago realizes that yeah he could always go back and be a shepherd anytime he knows he can make money doing something else like work even working at a crystal shop which he had no expertise in before which he was quote-unquote not even qualified to do And when he finally decides to not go back to Spain and pursue his journey of searching for his personal legend, he actually becomes happier again. Um, And so I thought this was a pretty important point to share. And the next one I want to share, so this starts with a quote from the book. So this quote goes, I don't live in either my past or my future. I'm interested only in the present. If you can concentrate always on the present, you'll be a happy man. You'll see that there is life in the desert, that there are stars in the heavens, and the tribesmen fight because they are part of the human race. Life will be a party for you, a grand festival, because life is the moment we're living right now. This is what uh, a camel driver 
tells Santiago while he's in a caravan um, that's moving through the desert while there is kind of news of some kind of tribal war happening nearby. And Santiago's going, he's part of this caravan caravan on his journey to eventually go to Egypt to um, see the pyramids. And the thought here is that many emphasize the need to be present. Like, um, you know, some say that means ignoring the future. So that's not a good idea. But, you know, when I think about people who YOLO and th- th- that's kind of the criticism when the, the, the importance of being present, I think is um, very well accepted and understood by a lot of high performers. Um, but there are kind of pundits who kind of go against it and say, oh, but look at the YOLO culture. Um, isn't that really negative? And when I think about, you know, who YOLO people are um, and the kind of decision and in essence, like even if I also think about the decisions that I make, I think mostly they're mostly all like future seeking. I think even YOLO people tend to be more future seeking when they're making the decisions. I don't think many are as present. Um, like like personally, I make decisions now in the hopes of some promise to happen in the future. Like um, you know, when I go when I study in school, when I go to school, um, when I you know go to a good great university what programs are select what kind of job i get um a lot of them weren't because i enjoyed any of it it was because of hopes of some kind of promise of something in the future happening so i'm already trying to predict the future by um, what i choose in the present and i'm just kind of believing in some kind of system telling me that this will all happen and this will work out which it's really not true um and so that, but the big thing is that I'm not enjoying the present at all. Although some would say that I'm being responsible and I'm being smart and I'm delaying gratification. But even Charlie Munger says it's really important that you actually enjoy what you do, even if you're delaying gratification. Um, and delaying gratification shouldn't even be considered a chore, really. And so if it is really hard for you, then there's that's something else to kind of examine whether you're even doing something you really should be um, desiring to do. And even if I think about the YOLO culture, you know, the IE just like not giving a shit and living life without a care on the beach, that kind of negative um, attitude that people give to YOLO. Although I think, you know, you only live once is a very important uh, phrase to say. Like I could totally see Marcus Aurelius say that in his diaries. He might kind of allude to it since he's so focused on um, death and, you know, memento mori. But anyhow, um, I think people who have this live on like the negative side of the yellow where it's doing all the partying etc like they're not truly present either because they don't really have any idea of what they actually want like one can actually say that they're actually doing a lot of these things completely for extrinsic reasons and this extrinsically motivated belief that having fun um, needs to be not related to work so in essence they're also kind of making present day decisions based on future expectations of fame or getting attention. Um, and sometimes even reflections on the past based on past beliefs of what the opposite of, you know, living for the future is. And so the, the big idea is that I think um, being truly present means being in tune with the future, but focusing on what you're spending your time on each day while not obsessing over what the past indicates of the present and what the future may hold. The next idea um, is, let's see, 
Right. So I think I kind of gave you an update on the story thus far. Yes, Santiago is currently part of a caravan somewhere in part two on the search for his treasure as part of his personal legend. Uh, he's on his way to the pyramids. Um, oh, so this is a pretty... Um, so early in part one, I didn't talk about it, but it's a constant theme in the book that I thought would be important to talk about. It's the idea that the universe conspires to make things happen for you. And this is something that I think even Simon Sinek talks about in his book, um, Start With Why. And it might sound a little hocus pocusy, but it's the I and I think also Debbie Millman talks about this too, where it's the I, it's kind of a belief. And I guess if I had a religion, this would be the religion. Um, it's the belief that if you actually genuinely pursue this really tough journey of actually living out your purpose um, and finding your purpose, that the universe will conspire to make everything everything work for you. It kind of makes it seem like um, you know. By the end of it, when you look at hindsight, you'd say, oh, wow, yeah, it's a lot of coincidence. But the reality is that you're really just preparing yourself so that when opportunity hits you, you're ready for it. Like that's, kind of, I think, um, the more logical way of looking at it. And that's a constant theme that is portrayed throughout the book, that the universe will conspire to um, make things happen for you when you're especially searching for a personal legend. And this happens throughout the journey for Santiago, where he sees all these omens and he uses, he sees them as opportunities and decides to make base um, decisions that kind of lead him closer to you know eventually finding the treasure um next to the pyramid and in relation to the universe conspiring the starting point is with beginner's luck um apparently when you search for a personal legend um to entice you and to make you believe that this um, to encourage you in one way it starts going really well for you in the beginning. Um, and that's what they call beginner's luck. And then it becomes really hard. Um, the further you get along in the journey, it just gets harder. And this reminded me of the models that are portrayed in Scott, Belsey, Scott Belsky's Messy Middle and Seth Godin's The Dip. Um, they're both different books, um, both by creators. Scott Belsky is the uh, co-founder of Behance, and he's currently the chief product officer at Adobe, I believe, and Seth Godin. Um, you know, he's a very famous author and entrepreneur, and uh, I don't think really he needs much of an introduction. But they both books talk, talk about how when you're especially doing work that, um, you know, they call it in different ways, but it's purposeful, meaningful, um, that is worth doing. You kind of have a mini inflection point in the beginning, and that's kind of the beginner's luck. The first kind of big, I guess, feedback you get that, oh, yeah, this is fun this is great and it encourages you and then you kind of have this dip and it all just feels like shit hit the fan and it's just not working and after that it's just a huge mess and it just seems really hard and you just really won't get much of a big win for a while and i think that is a pretty important thing to consider um especially when you're on a journey that this is normal that yeah it was easy to start it you had a quick win, um, but that it's just supposed to be really hard and just kind of putting that, I think, mindset in that it's going to be hard, so you have to be patient about it. Um, it'll be time when it's time and all you can do is just continue on and you have to just believe that the universe will conspire to allow things to happen for you. I think that's a very important theme that's portrayed in the book and something that I try to continuously um, keep in mind as well. 
I'll touch on two kind of final points. Um, there are a lot that I didn't talk about, but I think um, I would highly recommend you kind of go through my notes, or at least just get just get the book and just read it. It's a really quick read. Um, I think another big thing is when you pursue, uh, you know, a life of purpose, something like work worth doing, trying to do something that you actually love. A common theme is when Santiago constantly um, talks to people as well as himself um, in kind of a monologue where he constantly wants to quit. Like he goes through a lot of hardships, he meets bandits, he meets thieves, and his heart keeps on telling him to quit and quit while he's ahead. And it's this kind of fear where he kind of vocally talks about how he's like, yeah, like I could quit right now and I could just, you know, go back. I still have money, I still have gold, like I've met, I've learned, you know, I've met this woman that I love and I could go back and live a life. But, you know, it, a lot of it's driven by fear, fear of losing what you already have. And so you want to settle. And this reminded me of uh, a Paul Graham essay, uh, Paul Graham, the co-founder of Y Combinator, his essay on doing work that you love and how many people will actually settle early. Um, and so they might hate what they do right now, but they might find a job that's just slightly better. better. And they'll just settle for that and say, oh yeah, this is it. They'll never actually continuously pursue to actually truly find the work that they love doing. Like the work where when you actually do it, there's just no doubt that this there's nothing else better than what you're doing now. Like, But that point could be really hard to achieve. And it might take a really long time. It might take a lot of iterations. And what Paul Graham stresses is that most people will never get there. Like maybe a few hundred thousand people in the entire world would get there because it's so hard to get there and many will quit. Many will decide not to pursue it further. They'll kind of settle somewhere, um, anywhere in between something they hate and what they truly love. And Santiago kind of gets over this um, fear by realizing that every hour on the journey of searching for this treasure, this personal legend, made him feel more alive than ever before. Um, and because of the in, how in tune he is to the present, the fact that he realized that he's enjoying the process so much more right now, that he's continuously seeking um, and on this adventure, that it only makes sense to keep going until he actually reaches and finds a treasure. And I guess for myself personally, when I read this, it's... Yeah, continuously building what I build, but at the same time, continu continuously looking and trying new things until I kind of get to a point where I think I can confidently say, yeah, this is exactly it. And it's just kind of perfect. Um, until then, it's a continuous development. Like right now, I love what I do every day, but there's still elements that are missing. So I'm just continuously iterating. So I thought that was a pretty important point um, that is shared. And I think it's a kind of overall uh, theme throughout the book as well. And let's see what else. Oh, so this one uh, I should have highlighted. I didn't highlight. Uh, hold on. I'm going to make a note to highlight it. Yeah, so on, on um, I'm kind of taking a step backwards, but on his journey, Santiago meets an Englishman who is part of his caravan. And... The Englishman is uh, is trying to meet an alchemist um, who ends up helping Santiago in the late latter half of his journey. But 
earlier on, the Englishman is trying to meet an alchemist to turn lead into gold. And he spent, you know, 10 years of his life trying to figure this out. And he's done all this research and he's looking for the alchemist to teach him how to do this. And he eventually meets the alchemist and the alchemist asks him, hey, have you done this before? And the Englishman says, no, I've never tried. And the alchemist says, well, then go out and do it. And the Englishman actually goes and actually tries to do it. And he tells Santiago how he's wasted 10 years trying to um, to do the masterwork by not actually doing it and just trying to seek out permission from someone else to teach him how to do it. And But he also tells Santiago that it's better sooner than later because if he figured this out 20 years later, then he'd be just that much late. And I think it's the bigger uh, model that in many cases, you know, when you want to try something new, you always ask other people for a job. You ask people for the opportunity. And I'm guilty of that 100% because that's what I did for the first, um, you know, I'd say the majority of my journey, trying to get a chance to do what I want to do. And the idea, though, is that you have to do the work first. Um, you can't seek permission. You have to try to find a way to do as close to the work you want to do until um, the outside world deems that you have done enough to be even given an opportunity. And I think that's kind of the big lesson I took away from the Englishman who just studied and read books and did everything, but he really had no action. And the alchemist tells him the only, there's only one way to learn and it's through action. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's like another big thing that I want to share. And finally, this is a spoiler. Spoiler alert on the ending. Um, since this is a fiction, I don't want to spoil it. So if you haven't read it but you plan on reading it, don't listen to this. So I hope. So goodbye. But if you left and you still want to hear it because you might not read the book or if you don't care. So spoiler alert, but Santiago finds treasure. Ta-da! In case you didn't know. But the funny thing... Uh, twist is that the treasure was not at the pyramids it was actually under the tree in his hometown in Spain where he was actually living as a shepherd but the reason he had to go to the pyramids to learn that was because that's where he met the thieves who told him that the thieves themselves had a recurring dream of treasure hidden in Spain but the head the leader of the thieves tells Santiago that he but he's not stupid enough to travel across across the world in search of some tre- treasure based on a dream. Um, but the thing is, Santiago did exactly that. He had a dream and he met people that told him to co- go across the ocean and see the pyramids in Egypt in search of treasure. And when he did, that's kind of the message that he was able to realize that the treasure was actually right next to him the whole time. But he needed to go on the journey. And the entire book's kind of focused on that. The focus is on the value of actually going on the journey to pursue something that you actually very truly deeply in your heart believe is right and continuously learning to be present and learning to listen to your gut, listen to your heart and all the things that can actually come to your benefit by going on a journey itself. It's not about um, getting to the end faster like yeah in, in truth Santiago didn't have to go through this whole multi-year period of a journey throughout um, various lands meeting all kinds of interesting people to get the treasure he could have just dug right under the tree and he could have had the treasure but that's not the point the point is to focus on the journey and not the result 
And in one literal sense, yeah, sometimes I think, hmm, could I like go in a huge loop and land somewhere that makes me go, huh, I just didn't expect that return to this place. But that's possible. And I think as far as I'm concerned, I'm trying to not, not really care so much about the results anymore. I still have dreams. I still have visions. But to just continuously focus on what I love doing every day and making sure that I spend every hour um, in a manner that I think will aid me in my own development into the things I want to learn and get better at. So that's it for the book review today. Um, I hope this was fun. I hope this was interesting. I hope this was insightful in some any way. And yeah, appreciate your attention. Appreciate you listening to the podcast and hope to have you back on the show again uh, tomorrow. Take care.